Ladies and gentlemen, the captain has turned on the fasten seatbelt sign. If you haven't already done so, please make sure the volume of this podcast is set perfectly to your listening enjoyment. Please take your seat, whether that's on the treadmill, car, sofa, or bed, and buckle in for the last trip. My name is Jamie Beebe, and I'll be your tour guide, recreating someone's last days in paradise. On behalf of myself and everyone behind the scenes, please enjoy the Last Trip podcast. And because nobody likes a long flight to get to where they want to be, let's prepare for takeoff. Our victim today is Sister Eileen Christie, a 72-year-old nun from New York who is vacationing alone in Austria. She was reported missing on July 6th, 2016, when her nephew hadn't heard from her soon after she checked into a boarding home in the tourist village of Hallstatt. I've never been to Austria, although like pretty much every other place on the planet, it's on my list. Sister Eileen was visiting the town of Hallstatt when she went missing. It's a small village located in the Salzgammergut region of Austria. And bear with me because I'm probably going to mispronounce a lot of these names. The area is known for its beauty, history, and culture, which dates back to the early Iron Age around 800 to 400 BCE. During this time, people there were known for their metalwork and production of salt. And salt mining was crucial because it's a valuable resource for preserving food, especially back then. So they also used it as a trading commodity. Because of all the salt mining, Hallstatt was a pretty wealthy and important area in the region. We know a surprising amount about the early civilizations of Hallstatt because in the 19th century, significant archaeological discoveries were made and we found evidence of the culture, technology, and social structure of these ancient people. The Celtic people had a significant impact on the culture. They migrated across Europe and reached Austria around the 4th century BCE and then mingled in with the locals and introduced their culture. After the Celts, the Roman Republic expanded into Austria in the late 2nd and early 1st centuries BCE, and this Roman conquest marked the decline of the independent Celtic tribes. The mixture of the Celts, the local Hallstatt culture, and the Romans totally shaped the history of Austria. Today, Austria has become quite a popular tourist destination. It's a beautiful and safe place to visit and has a really rich history. The town of Hallstatt is situated between the Dachstein Alps and the Hallstatter Sea, known as Lake Hallstatt. The surrounding mountains, crystal clear lake, and lush landscapes create a breathtaking backdrop that makes for awesome photos. The village itself has traditional alpine architecture, which is like the colorful wooden houses, cobblestone streets, and flower-filled balconies. In 1997, the village of Hallstatt was designated as a UNESCO World Heritage Site, which brought lots of attention. So much so that in 2012, the town of Husu in China built a full-scale replica of the village known as Hallstatt Dwarf. There's a lot to do in Hallstatt. The lake is popular for boating, kayaking, paddleboarding, fishing, and swimming. The views are amazing because it's surrounded by steep mountains in every direction. The lake has a calm, clear, emerald green water that reflects all the mountains, and it's absolutely mesmerizing. So I can see why people go there to relax. Lake Hallstatt is about 5.3 miles long and one and a half to two miles wide, and the maximum depth is around 410 feet. 
Lake Hallstatt has some of the clearest waters in Austria, making it attractive for scuba diving and underwater exploring. Divers can discover submerged trees, archaeological artifacts, and entire underwater landscapes. Hallstatt is on the bucket list for travelers because of social media, travel websites, and travel shows, making it a sought-after destination. While I haven't spent too much time in Europe and I've never been to Austria, I did find a couple really cool things to check out when I go. There's a house of bones filled with hundreds of painted human skulls called the Hallstatt Charnel House. It's behind the Hallstatt Catholic Church near the 12th century St. Michael's Chapel. It's a small cemetery and inside there is a little building filled with over 1,200 skulls. In the 1700s, the church began digging up corpses to make room for more dead people. Once the skeletons were dug up, they were bleached by the sun, and the family members would come by and stack their family's bones next to each other. In 1720, it became a tradition to paint the skulls with symbols or dates of their birth and death so they could be better remembered even though they no longer had a grave. The tradition kind of died out pun intended, in the 1960s, but there was a woman who died in 1983, and her last request was for her bones to be put in there. So in 1995, that request was honored, and her skull was the last one to be added. You can totally go and check this out if you're in Hallstatt, but word on the streets is that they don't allow photos inside. I did find a bunch of photos online, and it looks really cool. You can check them out on Patreon at patreon.com slash thelasttrippodcast. Just a few miles away from Hallstatt is Ice Reisenfeld, which is the world's largest ice cave found beneath the Hochkogel Mountain in Styria. Even though an ice cave is obviously super cold, According to Austrian lore, it's thought to be the entrance to hell because of its eerie and mystical appearance. I am not one to pass up visiting the icy entrance to hell, so that would probably be one of my first stops in Hallstatt. While not a lot of people visit this ice cave, from May 1st to October 6th every year, you can take a cable car up to the Odel House, which is a traditional mountain hut built in the 1920s as a cabin for explorers. Once you get through the entrance of the cave, you're not allowed to take photos, and the round-trip tour takes about an hour and 15 minutes, and the temperature is below freezing. If any of you guys have been there, send me a DM on Instagram. Let me know if it's worth being in the freezing cold for that long because even though I'm a tropical weather girl, it does sound kind of awesome. I love those little towns that make you feel like you're stepping back in time, going to another world. But enough about Hallstatt. Let's get into our case of the missing nut. Sister Eileen Christie was part of the Sisters of St. Joseph in Brentwood, New York. This congregation of religious Catholic women on Long Island was founded in 1856, and they're part of the larger Sisters of St. Joseph religious community, which was originally established in France in 1650. These sisters are known for their commitment to serving the needs of the community, and their mission centers around living out the teachings of Jesus Christ particularly through acts of compassion, education, and social justice. Over the years, they've run schools, hospitals, orphanages, and various community outreach programs. The Sisters of St. Joseph believe in the importance of bringing people together, fostering relationships, and working towards building a just and compassionate society. And this is all reflected in their motto, which says that all may be one. 
So these ladies are out there doing really great things for the world. One of their notable ministries is education and teaching from elementary schools to universities. They've made substantial contributions to education in their communities. The sisters also advocate for the rights and dignity of marginalized and vulnerable individuals related to immigration, human trafficking, and poverty. Sister Eileen lived in a house with other convent members in East Northport and had just retired the year before her disappearance after serving for nearly five decades as a teacher in Catholic schools in the Diocese of Rockville Center. She taught theology at St. Anthony's High School, grades 9 through 12, on Long Island for 25 years. And her first 25 years of teaching was on the elementary school level. She also taught at Sisters of St. Joseph Convent in Brentwood and volunteered at St. Anthony's of Padua Church in East Northport as a director of lectures and as a spiritual director. Everyone loved Sister Eileen, and she impacted everyone who knew her. After news of her disappearance found its way to social media, many of her former students posted fond memories. One student wrote, she was an awesome teacher, always had a rebuttal to my arguments. I loved her class. I really hope she's safe. Much love to the staff and alumni, thoughts and energy going to her family and friends. Sister Eileen, I hope you turn up. The world needs kind souls. Don't let us lose one. Another student wrote, praying for a safe return for Sister Eileen. She taught me as a child at St. Anthony of Padua in East Northport and went on to teach my son Michael at St. Anthony High School. In her free time, Sister Eileen loved traveling and the outdoors. Swimming had always been one of her favorite activities, along with walking and hiking. She preferred scenic venues and backcountry and was more of a country vacationer. While her family wasn't too keen on her traveling solo, she loved having the flexibility of it, and it allowed her to explore nature whenever and however she wanted. Those who knew Sister Eileen described her personality as friendly and always being in motion. She was quick to laugh at jokes, and she was an avid bridge player. She was a young 72 years old, especially in terms of her health. Sister Eileen would walk for hours all along Long Island, and of course, hike in the Alps when she was there too. She had an unpredictable free spirit, and although others worried for her safety when she was alone, she always told them she knew just what she was doing. Lucky for us, we have a really detailed timeline in this case, partly because Sister Eileen kept in such close contact with friends and family, and partly because once she went missing, her family hired an awesome private detective. Sister Eileen traveled extensively throughout Austria, Croatia, and Northern Italy for many summers by herself. So this was not her first time in Hallstatt. This year, she left mid-June to begin her vacation in Croatia and was expected to return to Long Island in August. On June 30th, 2016, Eileen arrived from Croatia to the Gasthaus Mule Hostel in Hallstatt and stayed there until the morning of July 6th. Right before that, on July 4th, she sent an email to her nephew, Bill Frieda, who lived in Long Island. Now, bear with me because I'll read her emails word for word, but they were pretty abbreviated and short. The email said, The hike turned out to be longer, but it was so scenic, and it ended with the gastric, a narrow passage of steps, some wooden, most hewn out of rock. Then I got to swim. 62, not bad, but oh, did my body feel good immersed in that cold ice pack. 
Also on July 4th, she used her debit card at Gastoff of Weiss's Lamb, a restaurant in Halstead. On July 5th, she used her credit card to dine again at the same restaurant for a total of $21.89. That same day, she mailed a postcard to a friend that said, The lake is 17 Celsius, but feels great after six hours of strenuous hiking. Making it seem she was also referring to the same hike she told her nephew about in the email. She sent another email to her nephew, also on July 5th, saying, Had easy day. Short hike, then swim. Very warm day. Tomorrow, I move to House Yodler. Hair pills, but no Wi-Fi, only at tour office. Her nephew said that when Eileen mentioned no Wi-Fi, it had prepared him to hear no news from her for a while. On July 6th, before leaving the guest house mule, she sent another email to her nephew saying, Looks like a good day here. Had neighbors on next balcony from South Africa bemoaning sinking currency. She then left the guest house mule for House Yodler, which I looked up online. House Yodler is a hostel guest house type of rental in a gorgeous quiet location in the World Heritage Region of Dachstein Salzkammergut. It's a vacation apartment that includes a shower, TV, small kitchen, and balcony. There's also two double rooms with a shower and two single rooms. The house is situated in the countryside and is just a 15-minute walk from the historic center of town and a five-minute walk from the Salzburg cable car, which is an ideal starting point for most of the hikes around there. The price is around 100 US dollars a night. It's pet-friendly, allowing dogs of any size and cats upon request. There were very few reviews of the property online, and the ones I did find required a translation. The first was in Korean, and translated, it said... Highly recommended for accommodation in Halstead. The bed mattress was a bit dirty, but other than that, it was great. Accommodation in Halstead is very expensive, but it was very cheap. I was worried because there were few photos and reviews of the accommodation, but it was perfect. The accommodation was in a separate building next to the owner's house, so it was private, and the owner was kind. The surrounding natural scenery was also very beautiful. Bring cash and a hairdryer. The other one, originally in Dutch, said... Great location, rooms with mountain views and close to the lake. The lake can be reached on foot in 10 minutes. Clean room, small kitchen with stove, refrigerator. The homeowner is a very helpful man. The only thing that didn't work that we wanted, a room with a double bed. And our room had two single beds. But otherwise, everything was great. So no major red flags in the reviews for this hostel. When Eileen arrived there at 11.22 a.m. Austrian time, she sent another email to her nephew from her iPad, letting him know she had arrived. It said, Hair pills greeted me and my room is as three times before when I stayed here. Two burners, stove, small fridge, bath, TV, and Wi-Fi, all at one-third the cost of Malbach. Only now I have a 10-minute pleasant walk along the way to center and shorter to beach. Now I shall buy some food to cook. This made her nephew curious because in her previous email, she said she wouldn't have any Wi-Fi. So he sent back a quick email asking about it, but never got a reply. That afternoon at 12.45 p.m., credit card receipts showed that the sister purchased food at a market in Halstatt for $46.59, and the store owner later confirmed her visit. Both the food and the credit card were found in her room after she disappeared, and some of the food had been consumed. So we know she went back to the room after the market and had a quick bite of food. But guys, this is when things get weird. 
Sister Eileen's nephew suspected something was wrong when he hadn't heard from his aunt for three days after he sent that July 6th email. So on July 10th, he sent Eileen an email noting that he hadn't heard from her for several days, but again, no reply. So he takes a look at her travel itinerary. She was scheduled to stay in Hallstatt for six days and then arrive in Innsbruck, Austria on July 9th. He realizes that by now she should have already left Haus Jodlar. Nephew Bill called the hostel she was supposed to be staying at, the Fritz Pryor Schwedenhaus in Innsbruck on July 11th and asked to speak with her. The innkeeper explained that Eileen did have a reservation but never showed up and they had sent her an email but got no reply. So Bill immediately called Mr. Pills at House Yodler in Hallstatt, since that was her last known location, and he left a voicemail. Pills called back and said that he too was worried about Eileen because he had not seen her since she checked in on July 6th. He also said that all her possessions were still in the room. Obviously, nephew Bill was shocked and asked the innkeeper to call the police. But instead, Mr. Pills said he would call tomorrow. Okay, Mr. Pills not calling the police right away was a huge red flag, especially because this wasn't the first time Sister Eileen had stayed at House Yodler, but rather she had stayed there three previous times. So you'd think the innkeeper would have thought it was odd that he hadn't seen her since the day she checked in. So on July 11th, Bill called the U.S. Embassy in Vienna to report his aunt missing. From there, they gave him the number of the local police, and at 9.30 p.m. Austrian time, he called the Hallstatt police and gave them the details. On July 12th, policeman Christian Mosier was the first one on the case, and later that day, policeman Michael Gruber was also assigned to the case. Gruber told Bill that they went to Eileen's room, found a flyer indicating she may have hiked the Krippenstein Mountains that overlooks Hallstatt Lake, so they searched there, but came up with nothing. They also visited the Na Unfrisch grocery store, and the employees remembered Eileen shopping there. When they searched her room, they found her red bathing cap and the bright yellow swim trunks that she'd bought to replace her ripped bathing suit. Also in her room were passport, driver's license, credit cards, money, hearing aids, flip-flops, brown sandals, and hiking poles. And more on the swimsuit situation later in the story because it becomes a huge part in this mystery. The only things missing from the room were her sneakers, which were Merrill brand and off-white color with some mesh on each side, size seven and a half. Her one-piece bathing suit with white flowers, that was the one that would have been ripped, and a black and white top with a swirling pattern on the sleeves. The police at this time weren't taking things as seriously as they probably should, and they wouldn't put up missing person flyers in Hallstatt or contact Interpol, which was frustrating to her family and friends. Police also found Eileen's phone in her room. They looked through it to get a sense of where she might be, and on July 13th, police searched the trail by the mountains they had seen in the video from her phone, but again, nothing. On July 14th, police went out with bloodhounds on motorboats to search the lake. The dogs did bark above a section of the lake near the town of Obertron, which is about a kilometer southeast of Hallstatt. But again, nothing was found. Also at this time, the employees at the Hallstatt tourist office came forward to say they remembered Eileen stopping by to gather up flyers on upcoming events. On July 15th, police searched the overall area by helicopter. And again, you guys know where I'm going with this. Nothing was found. 
Now, other than the bloodhounds barking at that section of the lake, absolutely nothing of Eileen or her clothing had been found. On July 19th, Gerhard Weichselbaum of the Oberösterreich police took charge of the investigation. On July 20th, back home in Long Island, Sister Eileen's community gathered together for a prayer service at St. Anthony of Padua Church in East Northport, New York. More than 200 people were in attendance. It was a somber event, but it really showed how much Eileen was loved and missed. On July 21st, police spokesman Simone Mayer Kirchberger said the search dogs had picked up Eileen's scent near a popular swimming area along the lake. The detectives felt this was significant because all of her personal possessions were accounted for except her bathing suit. So they figured she drowned at the lake. The case's lead investigator, who again was now Gerhard Weichselbaum, gave an update on her disappearance, saying police began their search the same day she had been reported missing on July 11th. He said search efforts included Alpine police officers, local police officers, divers, canine units, and a helicopter. He said divers with Austria's Special Forces Unit, Commando Cobra, had been searching Lake Hallstatt on July 19th and submersible robotic cameras were even employed to search the deepest parts of the lake. But he had no update as to where Sister Eileen could possibly be. Basically, they were no closer to finding her than they were on day one, and his case update for the media was pretty much insignificant. The sister's family offered a $16,462 reward for her safe return and made the announcement in the major Austrian newspapers on July 23rd. But... No one came forward. On August 4th, police used sonar and divers and searched the lake again, but still nothing. Sister Eileen's nephew, Bill, was understandably growing frustrated with the lack of answers in his aunt's disappearance, and he felt like the people in charge weren't doing enough. He said the Austrian authorities, the FBI, and State Department had given a very weak response to the overall disappearance. He said, no one has offered any help whatsoever. The American embassy in Vienna sent us a perfunctory email that essentially said they have a hands-off policy for local police investigations, even those of American citizens. He went on to say the local police even refused to post the missing poster we've prepared. Bishop William Murphy of Rockport, Long Island, tried to help by reaching out to Austrian nuncio archbishop Peter Stefan Zerbriggen, hoping to expedite the search for her. But again, it didn't help. Sean Dolan, director of communications of the Diocese of Rockville Center, said, Everything that can be done has been done and continues to go on. Bishop Murphy is in regular contact with Sister Patricia Mahoney, who is handling this for the sisters. Bishop Murphy has been praying daily for her. Last Sunday, he began the 11 a.m. Mass, asking everyone at St. Agnes and watching on telecare to join him in the daily prayer for Sister Eileen. Although we do believe in the power of prayer... They were going to have to do a lot more than that to find Sister Eileen. Joseph Miro, pastor at Sister Eileen's church, said, The Austrian authorities have conducted an extensive search for Sister Eileen, but no one's come up with anything so far. We're praying for her safe return, along with the sisters of St. Joseph and St. Anthony's High School community. Because many of the people that cared about Sister Eileen felt that not enough was being done, there was a GoFundMe set up to hire a private investigation company out of Austria called Professional Risk Management, the PRM. $12,160 out of a requested $25,000 was donated into the GoFundMe they had set up. 
In an August 31st, 2016 update on the GoFundMe site, it said, the investigators from PRM have been hard at work. Members of the PRM team are former Austrian police, so they've been able to effectively collaborate with the police investigators. Several new interviews have been conducted with a variety of locals and businesses Sister Eileen visited. The day of Sister Eileen's disappearance was also the kickoff of the summer season in Austria. Therefore, the investigators have been reviewing a variety of social media sites to see if she appears in any posts of people in the area. The idea is to identify individuals who may have seen her that day. In addition, PRM's involvement in our view has prompted the local police to follow up on suspicious, unanswered questions from the initial investigation. But no one came forward with any information about Sister Eileen. It's like she simply vanished into thin air. Also at the end of August, Kenneth Tomlinson, president of All Private Investigations LLC from Long Island, decided to aid in the investigation for free. All Private Investigations LLC is a well-known and respected company willing to go to all legal and ethical lengths to help its clients. And Tomlinson is such an amazing guy to give his services for free. Tomlinson stated, when I began my career with the NYPD, I was given words of wisdom that I would never forget and still ring true today. We were told there is no such thing as a natural born detective. No one is a natural born detective. You will develop and enhance the skills that make you a good detective by putting in time over a course of years. An NYPD detective is given his fair share of cases, so there is no better place to learn and master the trade but you have to love what you do. He goes on to say, I've always loved my job because of the role I played in helping people. When I heard of the disappearance of Sister Eileen while she was traveling and doing what she loves in Austria, my heart was broken for her and her family. I had to help. While I am saddened at the fact Sister Eileen is still missing, I am hopeful that she will be found through the joint efforts of all private investigations, LLC, the Upper Austrian Police, the Austrian investigators, and the public all doing what we love to find this wonderful woman. So Tomlinson set off to Austria on September 11th to get some answers. He booked a room in Hallstatt at an apartment across the street from House Yodler. When he checked in, he spoke to the owner of the home, Sylvia Gamsjäger, and told her why he came to town. While she was aware that a woman had gone missing, she didn't know any details. She didn't even know that Eileen had been a nun. She also told Tomlinson that her children's father happened to be visiting Hallstatt after Eileen went missing and was actually staying in House Yodler the day police first came to speak to Mr. Pills. When her children's father asked Pills what was going on, he replied that Eileen had left that first day and said she'd be back in one hour. Of course, this contradicts what Pills told the police which was that he last saw her when he showed her to her room after she arrived and he didn't know when she left. Tomlinson started asking more questions around town and heard that Pills had a sex-related issue in the past. There were rumors of sexual allegations made against Pills 15 to 20 years ago, but no court papers had been filed. It was hard to get exact information on what happened, and later Tomlinson heard it wasn't actually a sex-related matter, but more of a domestic dispute with a family member. Also, when asking around town, the general consensus was that people didn't like Pills much. They considered him an idiot, a difficult person, and simply not a good person. While speaking with the Austrian private investigator and the local police, Tomlinson learned that they originally interviewed Pills and were so suspicious that police also searched his house, boat, and tools with dogs trained to smell human blood. But the dogs didn't hit on anything in or around the house. The police even spoke to Pills on three separate occasions regarding the investigation, 
but found nothing. The main reason police felt Pills was suspicious was because he had an obligation to call police if someone might be missing. And by not doing that, it was really strange behavior. Tomlinson needed to find out what Pills knew and get a good read on him. So he went to his house, knocked on the door, and surprisingly was invited in. He asked when Pills last saw Eileen, to which he said it was when he showed her to a room. He said she remained in her room when he left and closed the door. He waited approximately two hours for Eileen to come out and sign the register before he went back to her room and knocked on the door. When she didn't answer, he used his key to enter and see if she was there. Tomlinson asked why he used his key to enter Eileen's room, and Pill said it's because it's very important to his business that the register is filled out accurately. He stated that he could get in trouble if the records were not accurately kept. When Tomlinson asked if he was worried that he could have walked in on Eileen naked, he said that's why he knocked. Tomlinson then questioned why the urgent need to have her sign the register later lost its urgency and why he never again looked for Eileen. Responding to that, Pill said because the last time Eileen stayed there, she ventured into the mountains and stayed overnight. So he figured she had done this again. When Tomlinson pressed the story, Pill said he thought she only stayed there once before and it was nine years ago. So clearly his memory is not what he thought it was. Pills was also asked what he thought happened to Eileen, and he said he thought she either went swimming and drowned or hiking and fell. He said he did not hurt Sister Eileen and did not know where she was. While he was in Halstead, Tomlinson also went to several of the attractions throughout the area, like the salt mines and the Mammoth Cave attractions, asking around if anyone had seen Eileen, but no one had. What I want to go back to now is what Eileen might have been wearing when she went missing and what clothes were found in her room. Her friend in Croatia, where she was before Halstead, told Tomlinson that Eileen's bathing suit had a bad rip in it. She had torn the bottom of her swimsuit and it was about a two inch long rip. She tried mending it, but it wasn't fixable. So while she was there, she purchased a bright yellow pair of shorts that she wore instead while swimming in Croatia. This friend thought Eileen probably threw the bathing suit away because it was too worn out to be repaired. We know this torn bathing suit was not found in her room, but her yellow shorts and red swim cap were still there. The friend in Croatia said that Eileen always swam with a long-sleeved black and white top over her suit and a red swimming cap. She also said she would not have gone swimming in the lake without the yellow shorts, and she would not have gone anywhere other than the lake in her swimming clothes. She was a nun after all, so she's not running around town in her skivvies. Her friend also said that she didn't like getting her hair wet, so there is no way she would have gone swimming without her red cap. Her friend was 100% convinced that Eileen had not gone swimming. The yellow shorts and the red swim cap were still in her room. Inspector Weichesselbaum by now stated Sister Eileen had drowned in Lake Halstead. This was because the dogs used during the search only hit on the lake, and the bathing suit, although ripped and she might have thrown it out, was the only thing missing. He also said the dogs used to smell human blood did not find anything at House Yodler, so Mr. Pills was not a suspect. Tomlinson visited the area of the lake the police thought Eileen drowned, but he wasn't convinced at all. On the day of July 6th, the day she was there, the lake would have been very crowded with people, but about a quarter mile north on the lakefront road, there was a water treatment building with a small gate alongside it, leading to a grassy side yard and a small clearing about 80 feet away, which allowed lake access. 
This is where police said that numerous police dogs had hit on her scent. This does make sense because Sister Eileen would have wanted to get away from the crowds to go swimming. But at this part of the lake, it drops off steeply about 10 meters from the shore, and it drops to depths of over 100 meters. The water temperature on July 6th was 16 Celsius, or about 60.8 degrees Fahrenheit on the surface, and going down to about 39 degrees Fahrenheit once you're 30 meters below. But if she did drown there, why wasn't her body found? Authorities said there were a few reasons. First, when a body sinks below the 30-meter mark, the combination of water pressure and the frigid temps overcome the decomposition process and the body will not rise. Second, the lake also has a deep running current fed by mountain streams, which exists in the middle of the lake and runs from north to south. An object in this current could be carried south and end up anywhere along the length of the lake. They also said there are known to be two other bodies in the water that have never been found. They did use sonar devices in the lake to look for Eileen, but they only went down to a depth of about 25 meters. The problem I have with this is wouldn't somebody have found her tennis shoes or other belongings if she had gone swimming there? We know her shoes weren't found and she wouldn't have gone swimming with them on. So where were her tennis shoes? Even with all these questions and inconsistencies, on October 24th, the police in Hallstatt told the family that the active investigation ended, but all missing persons cases without a body are considered open cases. On November 1st, Ken Tomlinson handed in a thorough 32-page report of everything he found while investigating the disappearance. In his report, he said he believed Sister Eileen was likely deceased. He believed the police conducted a thorough search and investigation and were very professional and did what they legally could in searching for Eileen. Then, he outlined the discrepancies he found. First, the fact that two hours after Eileen's arrival, Pills felt such urgency to have Eileen sign the register that he used his key to enter her room and look for her, but then never addressed the matter again or even look for her again. Also, it's a small room close to his own, and in the house, you can easily hear people coming and going. Second, the fact that Pills defied the local custom and never notified anyone that Eileen was missing. The reason he gave police for not notifying anyone she was missing was pretty shady. It was that he remembered her from nine years before, and she had supposedly stayed out all night once. And he figured maybe she was doing that again. Third, the fact that Pills couldn't remember if Eileen told him she'd be back in an hour or if he spoke to her again after showing her to her room. Tomlinson said if she is dead and Pills didn't have anything to do with it, then she either died while hiking or swimming and her remains have just not been found yet. After the report from Tomlinson on November 16th, another update was posted on Sister Eileen's GoFundMe page. This update said... Thanks to your support, an exhaustive private investigation has been conducted into Sister Eileen's disappearance. In addition to the Austrian firm we hired, a parishioner from Christ the King, Ken Tomlinson, retired NYPD detective and president of all private investigations, volunteered his firm's services to assist with the investigation. In September, Ken traveled to Hallstatt to work with the police and private investigators we hired from professional risk management. Ken conducted a complete review of the investigation to date, developed and qualified out several leads, and confirmed for us that the Austrian police did a thorough investigation and exhaustive search for Sister Eileen. At the end of November 2016, Sister Eileen's friends and family held a memorial for her in the likelihood of her death. And nothing has been found 
sense. So guys, what really happened to Sister Eileen Christie? Because honestly, her disappearance sounds fishy to me. One thing that was never mentioned in any of the research I found was anyone that thought Eileen might still be alive. I don't think it's that far-fetched that maybe the nun wanted to start a new life. She had been a nun for the last 50 years and finally just retired from teaching the year before. Maybe she wanted to try another type of life. Maybe she had fallen in love on one of her many trips to the region and was living somewhere in Europe with someone happily ever after. Or maybe she enjoyed her solo traveling so much that it's how she decided to live out her last years. She loved the excitement of traveling and doing what she wanted, so it's not impossible. I imagine being a nun and living with a group of other nuns, giving her life to God and serving others is very routine and totally the opposite of traveling the world and hiking and swimming and enjoying your own company. Of all the people I've researched that have gone missing on vacation, I think this case has more likelihood of someone starting a new life than most. She had very little family, never married, no children, didn't own many possessions. She almost already lived a double life. The one in New York serving God as a nun and the one where she was out on her own, free to travel and come and go as she pleased. She didn't take any of her identification with her, but she could have gotten new IDs. Or she could have just stayed in the Austrian mountains and doesn't need identification. She was at a transition point in life, so I think it's entirely possible. Another theory we always look at in cases like this is suicide, but I'm going to take this off the table. Given her religious background, her health, and the overall happiness she had in her videos, photos, and letters home, I'm almost sure she wouldn't have taken her own life. Sister Aileen's family and friends, along with investigators in Austria, believe she's dead. I could agree with that. But then the question turns into, was it an accident or foul play? Pills is a strange man, and when Tomlinson questioned him, his story didn't add up. From the onset of him telling everyone that he needed her to sign the register so bad, to not even reporting it when she was missing, and didn't check out when she was supposed to, that doesn't add up. I've stayed in a lot of hostels, traveling solo, and they keep a pretty good eye on when you come and go. Especially if you've paid for a certain number of days and fail to check out or extend your stay when you say you're going to. No one is going to let you stay in your room without paying. In fact, I was staying in a hostel in Columbia recently, went to the forest for a hike, and at the last minute decided to camp there without telling the hostel I wasn't coming back. They reached out that same night at the normal time I would have returned just to make sure I was okay. So Pills, saying that a woman, a nun, checked into a room in his house and he only saw her the one time he showed her to her room and nothing was ever touched in her room again and he didn't see her for three days that she was supposed to be there and he also didn't reach out at all to try to get a hold of her when she neither checked out on the day she was supposed to nor extended her stay? That's a total bullshit answer. And when her nephew reached out and sounded the alarm, Pills was in no hurry to notify the authorities. That absolutely doesn't add up. While Pills may not have had anything to do with Eileen's disappearance, he may know something about who did. His two sons lived on the property too, and it's not unheard of for a father to hide something his child did wrong. And if Pills had absolutely nothing to do with her disappearance, somebody else could have. It's super rare in Austria, but random acts of violence occur everywhere and to everyone. 
Halstead is a really safe place, but the city was very busy when she was there. Could have been a crime of opportunity when Eileen was out hiking or walking or swimming. She could have run into the wrong person. Now, for going foul play, of course, there could have been an accident. Eileen could have been hiking in the wilderness and fallen, had a medical emergency, or met with a wild animal. But if she had a medical emergency or fallen, where's her body? There were searchers all over the area, not to mention all the bloodhounds. Could wild animals have taken her body? Probably not. The dogs would have found something if that happened. There are wolves in the area, but they are so rare that sightings of wolves hadn't even been a thing until around 2008. And today there are only thought to be around 30 of them in the Austrian landscape, making it pretty much a one in a million chance that she was attacked by wolves in 2016. Surprisingly, there are vipers in this area of the world. Bites from them are rarely fatal, but it could cause a medical emergency, especially in an older person. But a viper can't hide a body. Austria has a tiny population of brown bears that could be deadly if she encountered one, but the chance of that is slim to none. The most concerning animal on my list is the wild boar. Wild boar are extremely aggressive and can easily take down and entirely dispose of a human pretty quickly. In Austria, they are most aggressive from November to January during rutting season, but that doesn't mean Eileen didn't come across a pack of angry wild boar in July. The police think Sister Eileen went for a swim and drowned. I'd be inclined to agree, but the whole bathing suit thing really bothers me. If her bathing suit was torn, she probably threw it away. Or even if she didn't, then she would have had to wear the shorts she bought to stay covered while swimming. And the shorts were still in her room along with her swim cap. Also, her tennis shoes were missing, not her flip-flops. Sure, she could have worn her tennis shoes since it was a bit of a hike to the swimming area, but then why weren't they found? Also, if she went swimming, she wouldn't have walked there in just her tennis shoes and a ripped swimsuit. So why weren't any of her other clothes missing? Also, her hearing aids and phone were found in the room. Even if she was planning on swimming, she probably would have taken her hearing aids with her and just took them out before she went in. And she used her phone all the time. She took videos and photos while she was traveling. So I don't think she would have gone out and left it in her room. She literally took nothing with her to go on this supposed swimming trip. No ID, hearing aids, towel, cover-up, and maybe not even her swimsuit. Also, the area was full of people by the water, and no one saw her. I don't have an explanation for where Sister Eileen could be, or maybe if she's even still alive. It's a total mystery with no viable clues to really base a good theory on. But I always want to know what you guys think, so let me know on Instagram at the Last Trip Crime Pod, or join me on Patreon so we can hash out some good theories at patreon.com, the last trip. Jumping back to Austria, if you guys want to stay alive while traveling, Austria is a really safe country to visit. According to the U.S. News and World Report, Austria is ranked the sixth safest country in the world. Robbery and assaults there are super low and violent crimes rarely occur. Pickpocketers are probably the most you need to watch out for and they aren't that common except in crowded tourist places. The main crime in bigger cities is bicycle theft, but not so common in the smaller towns. So if you're riding a bike in the city, make sure to lock it up. There's a very low risk for terrorism in Austria, but still a small threat. 
An attack was prevented in Vienna in 2016, and in 2020, there was a series of shootings in Vienna where four people were killed and 23 injured. While it was a lone gunman, officials said the attack was an incident of terrorism. Living in Los Angeles, where shootings occur numerous times a day, Vienna sounds like a safety paradise. As far as natural disasters go, the risk is pretty low depending on where you are. If you're in the alpine areas of the country, there are some risks of avalanches and mudslides, so stay up to date on weather conditions. One thing to keep in mind is that the water in Austria, especially Lake Hallstatt, is very cold. So a few things if you enjoy a cold water swim. First, don't just jump in, but rather take a minute. Cold water shock can make you gasp, swallow water, and even drown. It's better to ease in from the shore. Don't swim alone, especially in cold temperatures. Keep your extremities warm and wear a swim cap for your head. Silicone earplugs can prevent your ears from filling up with chilly water. Protect your hands and feet with neoprene gloves and short booties or longer swim socks. And goggles will also protect your eyes from the cold. And of course, always inform someone about your plans before going anywhere. Tell someone reliable where you're going, what you'll be doing, and when to expect you back. And my number one tip to staying alive on vacation is to pay attention to your gut. If something doesn't feel right, it isn't. According to the Austrian police, while missing person cases are never truly closed, they believe Sister Eileen Christie drowned in an accident on July 6, 2016, shortly after arriving in Hallstatt, Austria. While there are theories, her body has never been found. Sister Eileen was 72 years old at the time of her disappearance. She was a Caucasian woman with short grayish salt and pepper hair. If you have any information on the whereabouts of Sister Eileen Christie, please call your local police or reach out to Ken Tomlinson from All Private Investigations, LLC at 631-759-1414 or email him at ken at allpi.com. And finally, remember to leave a review and rate this podcast five stars if you like the show or hell, even if you don't. But either way, feel free to let me know what you think. Please follow The Last Trip on Instagram at The Last Trip Crime Pod. And subscribe on Patreon to support the show. You'll get extra research, videos, photos, and updates, and even learn about my personal travels at patreon.com slash thelasttrippodcast. I'm Jamie Beebe, bringing you your last trip and signing off until the next one. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.